politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready, not only to guard our liberties, but also to fight against the impending genocide. We will prevail. We will win because we have the truth on our side. Daniel Horowitz back in the house today. See our podcast at Blaze Media. It's Thursday, the 27th of January, Holocaust Remembrance Day. Uh, Typically, this day has been hijacked by a bunch of left-wing NGOs that use it for their own agenda and make the Holocaust all about what it wasn't, failing to learn from the causes of the Holocaust, how a society could get involved and get roped into mass formation psychosis, turn genocidal to fellow man for senseless um, regard for, for or lack of regard for life and humanity, medical experimentations, which was a huge part of it, and what never again truly means. And what that means is that you put in safeguards in your legal, legal and societal structure against genocide. And yet here we are, you know, 75 years later, and the truth be told, we are actually facing and in the middle of a genocide. Some elements are like Germany 1930s, the discrimination, the being kicked out of jobs, society, because you're not a member of the cult. You're a danger. You're an untermensch, subhuman. But then there's elements that already are genocide. Never forget they created the virus, they blocked treatment for it, and they foisted upon us a shot that is unimaginable the amount of death and injury that it has already caused. And if we don't work on discovering cures, it will cause. But, of course, they're censoring any ability to do that. Obviously, I talked about the DOD data yesterday from the whistleblower. If you want a summation of it, listen to yesterday's show or look at one of my latest articles at The Blaze, my latest columns. Um, Again, surprisingly, a lot of people on the right passed it around, but I didn't even get any fact check on it. It is so devastating to them that they can't even touch it. So as of now, they're choosing to ignore it. Um, I don't have any more news for you on that, but hopefully the lawyer involved, Thomas Renz, in the coming days will be coming out with more information on that. Um, But broadly speaking, I want to talk about how this really is a genocide, how what we already know, what we already know at this point is that you and I are the lab rats. There is no quality control. There, none of the studies are being done properly. Um, I've had whistleblowers reach out to me on numerous parts of this. Remember, a lot of people in a lot of professions had to be involved in this in order to get this going. And they know who they are. And a lot of them do want to speak out, and they're not quite sure how to do it. It's not just a matter of them not wanting to lose their jobs, which is part of it, but how do you effectively find someone you trust in government and media to do it in a way that will be effective, at least if you're going to lose your job, that you want it to save humanity? So it's not an easy thing, but we are seeing whistleblowers coming forward, and that's why it's it's so important uh, because I think that's going to be the key to to blowing this wide open. So I want to get into some of this stuff, um, how we're going to uh, fight back, Uh, Obviously, I want to give you some of the latest news as to why this is a mass experimentation. We're going to have on later today civil rights attorney uh, Brian Festa to to discuss some of his latest legal cases, you know, to to try to instill some modicum of the Nuremberg values into our court system. And we'll talk a little bit about the, the Supreme Court vacancy as well. Uh, so there's a lot to get to. There's also the refugee resettlement is is kicking into high gear. So that's that's the thing. They use the Holocaust for the exact wrong thing. Oh, it's all about bringing in people that have problematic cultures into our country, but then we engage in genocide to our own people. It's just it's just unbelievable. So uh, first sponsor today, International Living. Um, if we cannot abide by life, liberty, and property he- here, maybe we could. Uh, live life, liberty, and property in Panama. Um, increasingly, 
people are retiring and moving to Panama. If you go to buypanamanow.com slash conservative, buypanamanow.com slash conservative, you can get a 100% free guide for my audience um, on invest and retire in Panama series. It's a four-video series all for free. Uh, showing you how, <laughs> look, I hate to say it, you might live a better life there. It's a high-income nation, um, but low-cost-of-living nation. Uh, your Every dollar in your bank account in Panama is worth 10 times more than it is in the U.S. So again, check that out at buypanamanow.com slash conservative. So, you know, I just wanted to, before I get into the meat and potatoes of today, just real briefly, yesterday... Uh, Stephen Breyer announced that he will be retiring at the end of this year's term. Uh, that's obvious because they know that they're going to lose control of the Senate. So, um, you know, he's getting in the vacancy now. You're going to hear a lot of commentary on this. Uh, Republicans and so-called conservatives are going to be obsessed with this. This is their Super Bowl because they don't understand how to reinvent the wheel to confront the challenges before us. So it's abortion, guns, taxes, and the courts but not the courts in the right way, like to fight against judicial supremacism, but court vacancies and appointing more Republican judges. Okay, I'm here to tell you and give over a very unpopular opinion on the right, but I'm just going to say it. This story matters, does not matter one iota. It's meaningless. Okay, Stephen Breyer's vacancy will not make a difference. And not only because... The Democrats still have technically the slimmest of slimmest majorities with the VP breaking the tie and Cinema and Mansion. when push comes to shove. They're going to vote for it because, see, unlike our side where we don't have stealth conservatives, meaning if they're not in your face, you know they're not conservative. And if they are in their face, Republicans will never nominate them. Whereas with the left, so they're not going to have like an in-your-face, you know, crazy like on the surface that would put cinema and mansion in jeopardy for their reelection because they need their votes. They'll get a stealth, you know, very well spoken, you know, someone who's done great legal work their whole career, and they'll be a reliable vote for them because they get guarantees. That's what's going to happen. But what I'm telling you is, even if Republicans controlled the Senate, heck, even if Breyer. You know, he, I mean, he would never have done this, but just indulge the hypothetical for a moment. He would have retired with a. A hundred GOP senators and a GOP president. It still wouldn't make a difference. Okay? Because, dude, the problem we have now is that we only at best have three votes. Gorsuch, Alito, and Thomas, and Gorsuch has some problems too. So that would be a fourth, even if that was the best pick, because we still have issues with Barrett and Kavanaugh, especially Kavanaugh. But it's even more fundamental than that. It's like drinking coffee with a fork. We've always played this game for 50, 60 years where when, once we're up to the fifth vote, we suddenly lose one. Like drinking coffee with a fork, the more you get, you lose something else. You know why? Because you're never going to get to that elusive five majority in a meaningful way. Because even if you had it, one of them is going to go south on you. Because that's how Republicans are. The courts are no different from the Republican legislatures. It's a super legislature. It shouldn't be, but it is, the courts. Okay? So, just like with Republicans, when they're in the minority, they're great. So that's a dissenting view equivalent in the court. They're awesome. Until they get in the majority. Republicans are righteous when the outcome is no longer in contention or never was in contention, and they don't have the ability to affect the outcome. But the minute they do, they are part of the problem. So I don't care. I literally don't care. I don't care if Breyer, Sotomayor, and Kagan would resign tomorrow and you'd have vacancy. It wouldn't matter. So I just don't care about that. I'm just telling you it's not going to make a difference. You'll hear from Brian Festa later today. All of the Republican, most most of the Republican judge judges buy into Jacobson that government could do whatever they want to you, you know, as long as it's done by the right organ of government, uh, you know, with public health. I mean, it, it's broken as anything. It just doesn't matter. And I think I've been proven right on my thesis on the court since I wrote my book, Stolen Sovereignty. So that's that's obvious. Okay, so it's not going to be the vacancy that matters. 
It's again, if you cannot abide by bodily integrity and the Nuremberg Code and the truths of a biomedical state that we've been exposing for the last year, if you can't abide by that in GOP supermajority trifectas in 20 or so states, 18 states, depending on how you want to measure it, then nothing matters. You're not going to do anything, certainly with a Breyer vacancy, with a Democrat-controlled you know, Senate. They'll, they'll get what they want anyway. Okay? So that doesn't matter. What does matter is fighting the biomedical state and really fighting every issue. You know, I have an article out today on refugee resettlement. States need to say no. We're not taking them. Bug off. Actually, we need to de-emphasize the courts because the courts will be used against us in anything we want to do in the states. In fact, I would make a deal with the left and say, look, we'll vote for anyone you want, okay? Anyone you want. You can get Ilyan Omar or whatever, you know, whatever jihadist on there. You can get anyone you want put on the court. And we'll vote for them. Except judicial supremacism is over. So they could, they could pass any legislation they want, except it has no effect. Let them enforce it. That, that's where we need to head. But I want to get back to the biomedical state and the experimentation on human bodies um, good uh, introduction to this. We're sponsored today by Z-Stack of Vladimir Zelenko's 4-in-1 Natural Supplement for Boosting Your Immune System. Zinc, quercetin, vitamin C, vitamin D, all-in-one, um, calibrated to the right doses for prophylaxis. Uh, he is the one who really uh, pioneered, along with several others, early treatment. Uh, Z-Stack is GMP certified, produced right here in the U.S., now more than ever, you have to take control of your own health and your family's health because uh, you can, certainly cannot rely on anyone to help. They'll only harm. Go to zstacklife.com slash Daniel. Enter promo code Daniel to get 5% off your first order. That's zstack.com slash Daniel, promo code Daniel. So, you know, I've had people reach out to me and I've done more research. It is breathtaking what is going on in clinical trials, in animal trials, in human trials. It is breathtaking. Um, I pray to God that this stuff comes to life. Um, what is going on with remdesivir, molnupiravir, and all of the shots, both the COVID shots and what they are working on in the pipeline right now are shocking. I will just tell you that. The, you, you, I mean, those of you who listened to me last decade, you understand this was not my issue. I didn't have a predisposed view on this. I have no agenda. The truth led me to this issue. I am shocked. It would shock your consciousness. We are literally lab rats. That, that political cartoon that was going around a couple months ago with uh, a baby monkey asking the, the, uh, the parent monkey, you know, when do we get the shots? And the, the, the father says, when they're done experimenting on humans. And that, that, that's exactly what, what this is. And I want, with that, I want to read to you something very interesting that, again, you probably haven't seen elsewhere. It's from a German newspaper publication, Berliner Zeitung. Uh, it's been around since 1945. It's a left-leaning paper. Um, and I'm, what I'm going to read to you is most of the article here, which is a translation from Google Translate from German. Very appropriate. We're talking about Germany, Joseph Mengele, Holocaust Remembrance Day. I want you to keep that in mind as we go through this. So basically, four renowned scientists wrote a letter to BioNTech founder Uger Sahin. BioNTech is the German uh, partner of Pfizer with the COVID vaccines. Uh, they were George Matisik, <coughs> professor of analytical chemistry at University of Leipzig. Uh, Gerald Diker, professor of organic chemistry at the War at the Ruhr University, Bochum. Andreas Schnepp, professor of uh, uh, organic chemistry at the University of Tübing Tübingen, and I'm not pronouncing any of this properly, but whatever. Martin Winkler, professor of materials and process engineering at the Zurich University of Applied Sciences, and you'll see why their sort of chemistry background 
matters to this. Um, I, I want to just preface this by saying that I, I plan on getting into this angle a little bit more if I have time in the coming days. But, you know, we've talked a lot about the spike protein, and, and it's pretty obvious what that's causing, that the actual mechanism of the shot. Um, and, and, and to a certain extent, the lipid nanoparticles, which are shockingly toxic and even worse. Um, but one of the things I haven't gotten into as much is, is uh, you know, the, the, the big question a lot of people have is, we know this is so toxic, and tons of people likely have died and been injured way more than what VAERS is picking up, and VAERS is picking up a lot. But still, you know, there are the majority of people, you know, walk away from this. Now, that doesn't take away, that doesn't absolve them because, like we spoke about, when you give this to the entire world in one shot, even the tiniest of tiny percentages would be a genocide against a ton, a ton of people in raw numbers. But, you know, a majority of people kind of walk away with it. Maybe some of them have a little bit of a, you know, malaise or, you know, maybe even a fever, kind of like a, you know, flu-like symptom for a day. Um, but, you know, okay, they walk away from it. But then other people just drop dead right away. Other people get stuff within the first few weeks, and other people get long-term stuff. And, you know, there, there's multiple reasons because there's multiple avenues for this to um, affect you. But there, there's growing evidence, and, I, and I'm working on collecting this, where there's no quality control. You know, we take for granted, oh, you know, you see a vial of something, it's all the same. But a lot goes into this. When you have 520 million doses administer, let alone produce in the U.S. alone, and God knows how many billions worldwide in such a short time frame, even without a genocidal malfeasance in mind, just, you know, even best of intentions, quality control is not an easy thing. A lot goes into that. Okay, the quality control, the chemistry, um, a lot goes into that. And their letter here, their questions that they're asking for are, are very illuminating. And just understand that all along, there is no transparency. Remember, this is being distributed, marketing, coerced, funded, and then forced upon everyone, regardless of their status, health, got COVID, not, age, stratified, yada, yada. None of the most salient questions have answers to. We still do not have basic answers, studies. And by the way, I have this confirmed from whistleblowers who are in the industry. I can't say anything more about that. But these studies don't exist. I mean, some of this is out in the open. I mean, like, you know, we know none of this stuff, whether they're the therapeutics, whether they're anything, all the emergency stuff. Um, there's no genotoxicity studies. There's no carcinogenicity studies, cancer studies, right? Um, standard, you have to have a two-year cancer study on any therapeutic. Um, now, you want to say you want to do an emergency. I am all for you know a right to try, but that means the government doesn't endorse, fund, um, you know, absolve of liability, or I mean, you could you know you could waiver it, right to try if you want to, but certainly absolve of liability and then coerce it and then give it to the entire world. You know, it means you have a guy with a rare form of cancer and he's like going to die and whatever, you know, right to try. You don't give it to the entire world by short-circuiting this stuff. I mean, this is out in the open. But I want you to, again, I'm going to read most of it. I'm kind of, you know, skipping a little bit. I plugged it into Google Translate. So a couple words might sound a little awkward as I read it because, you know, it's never perfect, but, but you get the gist. As chemists... We don't have the impression that this product can currently be used as a max mass vaccine. Because that's a quote from their letter as reported by the Berliner Zeitung. And that's um that's the thesis of their argument. So now I'm just reading from the article. A key question facing researchers at BioNTech stems from a note that reads, the vaccine is a white to off-white dispersion. Okay, talking about the color of the actual vaccine. The professors now ask... Professor Sahin, the founder of and CEO of BioNTech, how does this significant color difference come about? Almost all substances used are colorless, so white would be expected. Where does the shade of gray come from? Are these impurities? Andreas Schnepp, he's one of the four uh, uh, 
scientist that are writing the letter explains the problem. It's possible that a pill, a liquid, or a dispersion is colored, but the color gray, i.e. diluted black, is hardly created in a process that would have been expected. We need to know if it is a contamination. With a pill that is not white, there is a suspicion that something has gone wrong. We need clarification from BioNTech here. Okay, remember, this has been given to most of the world. Many people multiple times. In Israel, 90% have two doses. 80% have three. And 500,000 people have gotten four. Just remember that. Continues. We rightly have been have very high standards in the medical sector when it comes to the purity and comparability of products. Schnepp and Matisik are aware of the great difficulties of quality control in mRNA technology. There are few methods such as light scattering methods to allow any degree of quality control. Schnepp uh, says the following. This is a quote. I think they did an interview with him. Um, again, this guy was the professor of organic chemistry at University of Tübingen. Quote, as scientists, we are very interested in learning from BioNTech which methods are used at BioNTech. We discuss with colleagues and so far have not been able to find any starting points on how to ensure the quality of mRNA technology for such a large volume of product. That's a very important thing to keep in mind. In their letter, the professors ask specifically, how is uniform product quality ensured or how can you ensure that and to what extent the mRNA to be packaged is present in the lipid nanoparticles. Furthermore, how is the concentration of concentration of the mRNA drug in each batch controlled, and how the concentration of drug inside the lipid nanoparticles relative to that outside the particles? So, what? Remember, you know, we assume it's the same dose, and then not just the same dose, like you know, the 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 top line. 30 micrograms for Pfizer, 100 for Moderna. But but they're they're really drilling down to, you know, how much is present in each packaged lipid nanoparticle, how much spike is there, how much whatever. A second problem that worries the chemists is the components not approved for human use used in the vaccine. This is straight up. This applies to the components ALC0159 and ALC0315 used for the formation of the lipid nanoparticles, which are, quote, not directly approved for use on or in the human body. That's nice to know after uh, billions of doses have been administered to most of the world that that's really, really nice, mainly by coercion, 100% by lack of informed consent. That's really nice. Again, these are big, big scientists in Germany um, writing to BioNTech, which is in Germany. The safety data sheet for ALC0315 describes that ALC0315 irritates both the eyes and the skin or mucous membranes. Schnapp sees a problem here. Quote, if it can irritate the eyes or the skin, what about the relationship to the tissue? We need clarity here. Then they quote Matisik, the other guy, M-A-T-Y-S-I-K. BioNTech works with the best substances available to make this complex mixture stable at all. However, this is a very complex process with lipid particles because it is a process of self-organization. Controlling it is very difficult. Specifically, the professors ask in their letter, are there currently ongoing or planned studies to localize the whereabouts of the substances, which are only used as additives after application? Are there any other planned or ongoing studies to determine the toxicological effects of the substances or their biological degradation products? We don't know anything, folks. Where does this go in the body? I mean, I think we do, but from their end, they don't, they, they don't, where does it go? For how long? What type? How does it degrade? What does it do to the tissue? And it's not just like unknown, like, you know, maybe, maybe. These things have major safety signals, and they're not approved. We are literally, we're not even the monkeys. We're like the mice. This is utterly insane. Meaning, the reason why I'm so into this is what they're saying is not in dispute. It's just the questions we don't have answers for. But the concern of a question that you would have even on something that is totally voluntary and marketed, you know, not even marketed, but just available, you would you would question that. 
Finally, scientists deal with reports of side effects. This is what, what I'm very interested in. They are concerned because there appear to be different side effects for different lot numbers. Schnepp. It really shouldn't be because all the cans have to contain the same stuff. Okay. I mean, this is the Google Translate, but I, I, I think it's very, arti- it's very articulate. You know, um, they should, all the cans should contain the same stuff, right? I think we should all agree to that, right? However, the researchers believe it is possible that the high production pressure could lead to different results in individual batches, which, however, is not tolerable. The researchers want to know from BioNTech whether the side effects are correlated with a small number of batch numbers. Specifically, they ask in their letter, how can this circumstance be explained and what distinguishes these batches from the others and are efforts being made to examine this important aspect more closely, especially with regard to quality assurance? Are there or are clinical studies planned to investigate the side effects and their causes and to increase the safety of the new COVID vaccines? In other words, you know, folks, We've all seen this. It seems like you have, like, the relatively short-term cardio stuff and blood clotting. That's clearly the spike. You have the neurological stuff. A lot of that's a spike, and that's maybe a little bit more long-term. Um, but then there's all these just weird things, and then the people drop dead immediately. Meaning, there's no doubt in my mind this is toxic in the sense of the autoimmune, the immune suppression at a minimum, and that does include cancer because the, the immune system deals with that in the long run for, you know, that's going to be a concern for anyone who legitimately got it. Now, I can't vouch for whether there are people that got saline or a dud. I don't know. We don't know that. But if you got it, that's going to be a problem. But what they're raising is it does seem like I think the most like toxic immediate like people just dropping dead of a heart attack on the spot or within a day does seem to be traceable to certain lots. So that's more of a toxicity quality control issue, meaning the quality control goes both directions because there's an element that's going to be more toxic. There's an element that's better because, for example, the, the mechanism is horrible. So let's say you got something that is a very light dose of it. So you're actually better off for that. You know, typically if it's a good product, that would be a problem. You'd want more of it. But, um, so it, it, the lack of quality control could cut both ways potentially. Um, and, and again, this is not speculation. I, I read you a story last week from a Kaiser Permanente facility in, um, where is this in California where I believe, and don't quote me on this, look it up, I believe it was 3,000 or 6,000 people they offered to come back because they were able to trace it back, they have the serial numbers, that they didn't get the 30 micrograms of Pfizer. It was some order less, some of them had 27. It wasn't that much, but that opened my eyes. Oh, so that's out in the open, straight up, that, oh, so you could have variances. So if you could have 30, 29, 28, 27, Who's to say you couldn't have 10 or 5? And who's to say you couldn't have 50, 60, 100? Okay? So, you know, it's not our job to prove categorically that that is true. With the preponderance of evidence and safety signals, it is their job to study this and prove to us that that's not the case before they unleash it. Basic Nuremberg Code. Basic appropriate lessons of never again and the Holocaust. And we know the Japanese had to get rid of over a million batches that were toxic. Okay? So, I mean, that's, I mean, this stuff is open source. So there's a lot of smoke. So these very smart German scientists are giving us, you know, the, the scientific rationale to be concerned with this. I'll just end off here. Finally, the chemists write, some side effects occur quickly after vaccination, much faster than one would expect if they were related to the formation of the spike protein. Like I just said, a toxic or allergic reaction would be more likely here, which could be narrowed down by further investigation into ingredients. They asked Sahin whether such investigations are ongoing or planned. All in all, according to Matisik, the problematic... The problem of the side effects should be given more focus, and physicians who have to advise the patients should also be involved in the discussion. No kidding. Yeah, maybe the physicians and should, we should focus a little bit more. They're trying to be kind of gentle here. 
a little bit more on the side effects, just a little. But again, what he's trying to show, what the, what the, these four people are trying to show here, again, Berliner Zeitung, um, that you know the the spike protein in general is not going to down someone immediately. That's more of a of, of a toxic allergic reaction to some sort of toxin in there, and that's a quality control thing. Assuming it wasn't intentional, assuming they're not trying to kill you. Um, but at the very minimum, there's no quality control. So that's where we are there. And and by the way, just so you know, there's no middle ground. Either they're genocidal or they're criminally ignorant. They're stupid or evil. The New York Times has an article out today, Biden's first pandemic year. It's a very long article with a bunch of different reporters they do a whole year look back at Biden and COVID. And they start off the first half of the, or not half, but the first portion of the article is about how they were so disappointed that it's non-sterilizing. And listen to this. Biden's first pandemic year, um, vaccines had been the core of President Biden's pandemic strategy from the moment he took office. But as Dr. Walensky was briefed about a cluster of breakthrough cases in Provincetown, Massachusetts, the reality sank in. The Delta variant, which had ravaged other parts of the world, was taking hold of the United States, and being vaccinated would not, it turned out, prevent people from becoming infected with the variant or transmitting it. It was a quote-unquote heart sink moment, Dr. Walensky recalled in a recent interview. This they're talking about was like, I want to say August is when that uh, uh, thing came out, Provincetown. Uh, maybe they got a hold of it in July uh, internally or, or June. Dude, this was known from day one. It was in the study. It was blatantly. Now, the average person, it was they were lied to in the media and the way they were marketing. But, but it legitimately, in all of the clinical trial documentation, it was clear it's non-sterilizing. I mean, and the smart people all knew that. Um, and they understood the mechanism that it would, it would produce no IgA, which goes in the mucosa. Certainly, the no T cells. It actually slides back your T cells. It was only in the blood, blood-based antibodies. So it, it was not sterilizing to um, a virus that comes in through your nose. I mean, that that was from day one. So either she's a bald-faced liar, or she's ignorant as heck. And I think that depends on who you're talking about. Walensky legitimately is kind of like a janitor. I mean, she she I. She, she is evil. I'm not gonna, you know, get her, let her off the hook. But she also is legitimately extremely dumb. Um, not all of them are. Uh, I think Fauci is smarter than her. Um, but you'd be surprised at how dumb some of these people are. So she that means that they they never thought about ADE, original antigenic sin either. Oh really? It didn't stop it. Oh, okay. So I just want to read that in light of, you know, the article, um, what do you call it, from, from Germany, that clearly, clearly, these guys did not think about any of these questions about quality control. They don't, it's this echo chamber. Unless they did think about it, and that was par for the course. But I'm just saying, if you want to move away from the intentional stuff, you would—they would have to be so dumb it, it, it defies logic. By the way, one other interesting nugget in that New York Times article is: um, um, within weeks, public. So they start talking about Biden was basically planning to turn America into Australia. They really were going to fully have the vaccine passports and everything. But within weeks, public health officials began hearing a different message from the White House, where Mr. Biden and his team were wary of Republican politicians like Governor DeSantis of Florida, who railed against such passports as completely unacceptable. You know what that tells us? Ron DeSantis was the last thing standing between us becoming Australia. Very interesting quote there, which is why I tell you, you know, forget about Congress. You get a couple better governors and legislators in a few states. Not only do you save those states and you have a place to live to, but it is really a good control and check and balance, much more effective than a Mitch McConnell, Kevin McCarthy, Republican-controlled Congress. Um, it, that, that is very, very illuminating. I knew that was true, but the New York Times admitted that. Um, so again, like, you know, I don't want to hear about this business of, oh, by January of next year, we'll have a Republican Congress. Like, 
I want to know what the GOP supermajorities in 20 states are doing right now. Right now, what are you doing? Because if you had 20 Ron DeSantis's, it would be game over. But, of course, we don't because the Republican Party is part of the problem. Um, you know, also, again, today, as, as uh, you, know, you commemorate, uh, memorialize the Holocaust, when you talk about doctors, remember, there was a whole Nuremberg trial just for that. Okay, that was a big part, not just because they you know, experimented on the people they took into Auschwitz and, and other places, but before the actual Holocaust took place. Um, there's a lot of academic literature on this. In, you know, we, had, we, had, we had a Holocaust survivor, Vera Sharav, on the show last year to discuss Germany in the 1930s. The lead up to it, the lead issue was medical nationalism, um, where they talked about purity of health. And inferior people, people that are a danger to your health, undermension. This is, we don't have to reimagine, oh, could a Holocaust happen again? Dude, they have already killed in the short term a million people. And if God doesn't bless us with some ability to turn this around and cure the, the spike protein and the long COVID and the, you know, both are bioweapons, you're talking about millions upon millions of more people. You know, and not to mention the quality of life, the behavioral, emotional, mental health, developmental health from the mass mandates, the lockdowns and everything. I mean, it's just more subtle. It's not like you have an Auschwitz where you're throwing people into an oven. It's subtle. It's global. It's mixture of private sector. It's, 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 it's very unique. It doesn't make it not a genocide. It absolutely is. I mean, I don't mean to diminish it, but Joseph Menengla was it was the people in Auschwitz. Here they've made the entire globe, the entire globe, one big, you know, rat lab, mice lab. That that that's what this is. It's truly scary. Um, but before we end the show, I do want to get to our guest. One one quick thing. So in the spirit of good and evil. Doctors that that use their skills to kill people versus saving lives. Two nights ago, six of the Patriot doctors, frontline doctors, were on a call together. They had a Zoom call. And it was all about someone who wasn't even their patient but came to one of them in distress. And all six of them spent a good amount of time that night to, you know, iron sharpens iron, as it says in Proverbs to get their minds and their hearts together, to do everything they can, to leave no stone unturned to save those people. The contrast between the few heroes and their regard for life versus the nihilism of the medical establishment, it really is truly breathtaking. Truly breathtaking. Now, when we're discussing this issue of compassion versus cruelty, Informed consent versus experimentation. When we're looking at those who are rising to the occasion, that's been our theme this week. We have whistleblowers coming forward and numerous fields that they're privy to information. They have the ability to blow this wide open, speak the truth, help save lives. We've certainly featured a lot of doctors. Uh, but what's even more rare, I would say, are lawyers willing to help people out, people that are struggling with human rights violations that we could have never imagined would take place in America, but they're going on and on and on, the most illegitimate, immoral, illegal, inhumane, illogical mandates and denial of care taking place, and they, they just get away with it. And like, where are the courts? What's going on? So I want to talk about the courts a little bit today with one of our Patriot lawyers, Brian Festa, um, obviously one of the big things going on is the denial of care and pharmacies violating law, practicing medicine, denying prescriptions. And this has really, really made it very hard for us to save lives. It's, it's, it's truly heartbreaking. Um, so with us today is Brian Festa. He's a civil rights attorney in Connecticut. Uh, he has a, an important organization, we, the Patriots, USA.org. So that's a place you could go to to sign up for legal help. 
um, with some area of COVID fascism, whether it's, uh, you know, religious uh, exemption denials for mandates, um, whether it's, you know, you have a mask uh, case, you have some other things we're going to talk about now. A lot of them, it's hard for them to take on. Number one, they need support. So when you go to WeThePatriotsUSA.org, I need you guys uh, to help them out. Uh, this is not very lucrative, as you could imagine. And in fact, it's really not for profit. Uh, so you need to get involved. This is a, a 501c3. It's tax deductible. Uh, WeThePatriotsUSA.org, again, and he needs our help. He needs to be able to get more attorneys on these cases to save more people. And keep in mind, it only takes one important victory in the court system, which I don't have too much faith in, but you got to try every angle to potentially help tons of other people, not just that plaintiff. So with us today to discuss some of the latest happenings in the court on civil rights cases is Brian himself. Thanks so much for joining us today on Blaze Media. Thanks for having me, Daniel. All righty. So I want you to break some news here for us. You are the first one to be involved with uh, a pharmacy denial of prescription case in Minnesota. There's a federal case um, that you've been involved with uh, for someone who was a friend of Steve Dace's, my colleague. He was denied ivermectin at a very, very critical stage in the disease. Uh, luckily, he had a good outcome in the end. No thanks to them. But you have another case you'd like to discuss. Uh, let us in on it. Yeah, so we have a case. I'm going to break the news here that we're going to be filing uh, soon, but we do need funding for that. As you mentioned, uh, these cases are extremely expensive. We have a case pending against CVS now. So as you mentioned, we have the Bill Salyer case versus he's the U.S. Marine case versus Walmart. The pharmacist denied him uh, a prescription for ivermectin. We now have a case uh, pending against CBS in Missouri. Uh, they did the same thing. Pharmacists absolutely refused to fill a valid prescription from his physician for ivermectin, uh, denying him critical care when he was sick. Uh, he had to also resort to using, it's my understanding, uh, he had to resort to using the horse paste, just as Bill did. And just like Bill, uh, this gentleman is a farmer, grew up on a farm, and used to give that stuff to his cattle. So I remember Bill, when Bill first told me his story, telling me how strange it was that he's sitting there taking this paste that he used to give to horses on his farm in Iowa. And and this gentleman had the same kind of had the same kind of flashback, uh, having to take this uh, absolutely reprehensible, denying life-saving treatment to people. We intend to set a precedent all across this country that pharmacists cannot practice medicine, cannot get in between the patient physician or patient healthcare provider relationship. And, and here's what's really important about this case as far as precedential value. Uh, first of all, we believe very strongly we're going to be victorious in both of these cases. But the case against Walmart is a case against the largest brick and mortar retailer in the world, Walmart. Uh, and this case is against the largest pharmacy chain in the United States, CVS. This is why we're strategic with our cases, because we do have limited funds. So we take on cases against the largest possible defendants. And the thinking is, and I think it's, it's correct, is that if we win these victories, that'll have a trickle-down effect. Uh, because obviously the smaller pharmacies, the smaller retailers, when they see that, oh, well, you beat Walmart, oh, you beat CVS, oh, we better not try this anymore. And that will set a precedent all across the country so people can get access to the treatments that actually work, unlike these poison shots that they're pushing right now. That is truly unbelievable. And I'm so thankful for you. And hopefully in a state like Missouri. Um, so this is a federal lawsuit, right? Yes. So hopefully, you know, in that part of the country, maybe there will be uh, some sort of a chance um, the, the problem I'm having is these cases are really slow. Is there a way, do you think there's an avenue for your office to get involved in injun an injunctive relief case where we would kind of get at least some sort of ruling immediately for someone who wants it? Or is that just logistically not possible? 
No, it is possible. We haven't had people really approach us for that. Um, mm-hmm. So if there are people in that situation, please reach out and we'll see what we can do. Again, we can't guarantee anything, especially considering that funds are so limited. I mean, I'm just going to be blunt, Daniel. This is not this is not a six figure venture. What we're trying to do <laughs> take on these lawsuits all over the country. This is seven, eight figures, really, or more, uh, multiples of of seven figures, because uh, each lawsuit could be you know as much as a hundred thousand dollars. And so you're talking about filing dozens and dozens and dozens of lawsuits. Uh, plus, of course, we have to you know run our organization. Um, it's extremely uh, difficult to do that, which is why we have to be strategic. But um, yeah, you know, I, I do think if people are in need and they need that sort of emergency injunctive relief, definitely reach out. Problem is right now, most of the people come to us after the fact, after they've already recovered, luckily, by using the horse paste or whatever else, uh, they come to us and then they seek relief, which is fine. We, we are very happy to take these cases, but they didn't reach out to us when they were actually uh, in their hour of need. Um, so, you know, obviously that ship has sailed, but, but luckily they survived both Bill and this other gentleman. Uh, again, I'm not mentioning the name yet cause it hasn't been officially filed, but, uh, you know, it's, it, it's, it's tragic what's going on because there are a lot of people out there who unfortunately do not recover, uh, because they can't get the treatment or they have very serious complications because they weren't able to be treated in a timely fashion. And we intend to change that. Sure. I'm I'm looking at right now as I'm talking to you, there the state of Iowa, just north of there, uh the the medical board sent a letter to two doctors and really lacing in them into them and threaten basically threatening them if they don't answer a series of eighteen questions that are just shocking. And one of them is it's alleged that doctor I won't say the doctor's name failed to explain or give an ICD nine code to pharmacy staff and then said, please explain your interaction with pharmacy staff at this Walgreens store in Iowa in reference to filling the ivermectin prescription for this given patient. And I'm thinking like they're literally crowning the pharmacy, the king over medicine. And you yep. better explain, hey, why why didn't you give give the code? You need to explain yourself to the pharmacy. Were you mean to the pharmacy? Did you not tell them? I mean, it's literally what they're saying. How does this get off the ground legally? It's backwards. It's totally backwards. I was just going to say it needs to be the other way around. This, <laughs> we need to have some of these boards, these phar- pharmacy boards, reaching out to pharmacists and saying, why did you deny that prescription? What reasonable basis, what evidence do you have scientific, medical evidence, or otherwise, to deny filling this prescription that a a duly licensed physician in this state prescribed. Who are you to be denying this medication? That's what we need. But of course, these these government entities uh, are not doing this. They're all in the pocket of the pharmaceutical industry, as we know. But we intend to change that because with some court orders, they are going to be held accountable. And, And there will be, we believe, laws passed as well although we're not involved in in the legislative process, uh, we do believe that these court precedents eventually could result in some changes, some major changes in these states, uh, you know, so that there'll be laws that you cannot deny. I mean, there already are laws in many of these states uh, regarding pharmacists, obviously, and their their conduct and their practice um, and what they can and cannot do. We've talked about this before, Daniel, privately about the... uh, conscious objections. Uh, there's there's laws where you're allowed to refuse to fill something, for instance, in a border patient. Uh, this is not that, though. There's no reasonable religious basis or conscious basis for refusing ivermectin, which has been shown. I mean, we have the data now to show how effective it is at treating people, and there's no data to show that there's harm. I think you showed me the statistics. There was one study, uh, hundreds of thousands of, of, of cases of use and only, what, 48 adverse reactions? Actually, that study is attached to our, our Bill Salyer complaint. It's, it's one of the exhibits, I believe. Um, it's just absolutely mind-blowing that they're getting away with this. We say no more. So I want to move on a little bit more because there's so much crime taking place at the pharmacies, the medical boards, the hospitals. Um you know, obviously the mandates, 
One of the big things we've been working on the last number of days, and and it's just when I heard it a few months ago, I thought it was a rumor. I thought it was one of these things like like a Babylon B, like one day this is going to happen. Today we're commemorating the you know Holocaust Remembrance Day, and obviously that was very much catalyzed by dehumanization of people. You deserve to die if you're not like me. Um, medical experimentation, the Nuremberg Code. These are all things we need to reaffirm now, and. There are people that are in need of organ transplantation, and it's not just become a rare thing. It's almost in many parts of the country a rule that you have to assume it's now – it's not even – this is like a 100-year fight that they won overnight without firing a shot where they are literally denying organ transplants to people because they say they didn't get the shot, even if they had natural immunity, which is greater, even though every single study has shown that it fails to stimulate proper immunity for these people, the little immunity it does grant, um, and these people all need early treatment. It's disgusting. They they force on them something that doesn't work and is dangerous um, to, to people in that situation, the spike protein and everything, and then they don't treat them. And they're they're getting away with it. I mean, I haven't seen a single court case on this. What what? Can you give us a state of play of what's going on? Well, we have had some people reach out to us who are on organ transplant lists or trying to get on them because they have very serious, for instance, kidney disease or heart disease, uh, and they've been denied. They've been told unless you get this shot, you are not going to be on this list. Or if you're on this list, we're going to remove you from this list. Um, And on a personal note, you know, my business partner, uh, Dawn, doesn't mind me sharing this. Her father last year died. He was on a a transplant list for a kidney and uh, they made him get the shot. And he declined very quickly after he did get it. He declined very quickly after that and unfortunately passed away. Uh, And so this is very personal. This is very, very personal to us. We want to take this on. We want to take on this kind of litigation. Our attorneys that we work with are very interested in this litigation. We have had a couple of people already reach out to us and we're exploring lawsuits. They will be very expensive folks. So again, um, I can't stress enough the need for support. We, the Patriots USA.org, uh, because we, we do fully intend to jump into this fight because this is dangerous, dangerous precedent. If you're going to deny someone an it's one thing you're denying medication, which is life-saving. That is, is bad enough. Now someone's critically ill, uh, needs an organ transplant. How far is this going to go? Heart surgery, cancer surgery, cancer treatment. We're going to deny all of it now because you don't get the shot. Folks, if we don't get good precedent on the books in the court before they can race to the court and get bad precedent, that's your future. You're not getting medical treatment of any kind unless you have this poison shot. So we need to stop this. This is extremely urgent, Daniel. And by the way, as we talked about earlier this week, the CEO of Moderna said they're in phase three with RSV. They're in phase two or three with many, many others. They have about 20 others in the pipeline. Um, The RSV, Corona, flu, triple combo, mRNA, he says should be available fall 2023. So this is is a new reset. This is a new culture. It's not even about this one. So that's why it's so important that we stop this. Here's my question to you. Um, If you say you're going to violate human rights, you have no right to a job, uh, you have no right to care, you have no right to breathe, um, because we say this, you the shot, the mask. So to me, it's shocking enough that the courts would allow that even if it would be rooted in some sort of scientific basis. But literally, we have the opposite. So we have one case where a guy has natural immunity but not the shot, which is actually proven to be better for everyone, but particularly organ transplant patients than the shots. We have Omicron running wild where every single uh, data point shows the shots have negative efficacy, so they're actually spreading it more um, with that. When do we ever get to a fact discovery hearing on any aspect of this? I understand that the courts will give them rope. And any gray area, they'll give the point to the government. Any, any, But when it's black and white, at what point do facts, courts get involved in facts all the time in legal cases? Do we have any case on the horizon that you think, whether it's natural immunity, whether it's the shots, safety and efficacy, whether it's the mask, safety and efficacy, 
um, whether it's the, you know, with the therapeutics. I mean, is there any case that you think is going to build some degree of discovery of the facts? Absolutely. Both of our ivermectin cases, I believe, very strongly will do that because uh, we are discussing it already in our pleadings that ivermectin is, is not harmful and is indeed shown to be uh, safe and effective at treating COVID. So we're going to bring the science in. We're going to bring the expert witness or witnesses in uh, to show that. Now, grant, granted, that's just one aspect. Obviously, there need to be a lot more cases. And you mentioned the shots, especially showing that they're not effective, showing that they are harmful. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of other cases that need to be brought. But we believe right now those cases, the one case we've already filed in Minnesota and this next case we're about to file in Missouri, uh, very strongly we're going to bring in a lot of data, a lot of science, and they're going to have to look at it. Now, whether the court accepts it or not, I can't say, because so far in, in many other cases when people have tried to make science-first arguments, they failed. The reason I think these are a little bit different is we're not just bringing some general challenge and saying, oh, we think some government mandate or some you know particular mandate at some university is bad. We have brought some of those challenges, but they're not general. We usually do them on the basis of religious liberty. In this particular case, it's a pharmacist you know, who works for a major retailer or major pharmacy getting in between the doctor-patient relationship and substituting his or her judgment for that of the physician. Well, that, Daniel, that's about science. That's a, that's a question of medical evidence at that point. You, they have to, in their defense, prove that they had a valid medical reason for doing that. And the only way they can do that, and the great thing about it is these are private entities. They let the government get away with, with a lot in court. But these private corporations now are, have their feet held to the fire. And they will have to show in their defense evidence that ivermectin is somehow harmful. Is more The off-label usage of ivermectin is somehow more harmful than the off-label usage that they permit everywhere else. They permit how many drugs do they have no problem with uh, filling a prescription if it's off-label? But CVS, for some reason, told this individual, our plaintiff, that we have a corporate policy that this off-label usage cannot be approved. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be interesting to show because we all know medicine is very dirty and often very necessary. But, I mean, 30, 40 percent of, of drugs in many you know, fields of medicine are off are prescribed off label, and often they're pretty heavy duty. They have FDA black box warnings. Now, sometimes you know, in the physician's judgment, the the benefits outweigh the risks. They are never questioned. They are never questioned. They do it all day with wound care, heart medications. I mean, all day this happens. This is the most innocuous thing that run won a Nobel Prize and is one of the safe essential drugs. The WHO. It's like you know hydroxychloroquine. Um, it is, it's everywhere. It's, it's everywhere. Hydroxychloroquine. I mean, I don't know. I guess you don't have that in one of your cases, but they're, no, they're but certainly going it, after that. But I took it myself when I had COVID. I, I, I took ivermectin too. Okay. And guess what? I recovered very quickly because of that. Now I, I want to ask you, I'm very down on the courts. I'm very, very down on the courts. Why it seems like you're optimistic on the one hand, but on the other hand, when you look at the meat and potatoes of government mandates, it's very abysmal. Meaning, state and local, it seems like plenary. Any they could say uh, your body needs to be defiled, and that 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 would go through. And even at the federal level, it's only like okay, some agency without the authorization of Congress sometimes might not have the statutory authority to do it. That's kind of where we are right now. Do you see, with your crystal ball, especially with their narrative falling apart, and especially just with the passage of time, that this is not March 2020, some avenue to go to be being able to down some of the mask mandates or you know vaccine mandates? I, I do, and I think the strategy has to be flooding the courts with this litigation. You're not going to win on the first case. We didn't. You're not going to win on the second case. We didn't. Uh, I don't mean we specifically, but people in on our side, people who know the truth, um, 
it's not one or two cases. It's flooding the courts with this, beating this drum, and eventually forcing them to look at the evidence. And as you say, the passage of time, I think that was a very important uh, point that you made, because think, this is not March of 2020. We know a lot more, and we know that the data is not just flawed, it's, false, it's been falsified. We have proof of that that we can show in court now. And we do have still, I know some people out there listening probably won't agree, but we do still have good judges and justices who uphold the rule of law and the Constitution, okay? If I didn't have faith in the legal system, if I didn't believe it, I said this before, I think even on your show, I would leave the profession. I would absolutely leave because I'm not going to stay in a profession that I don't believe in that I think is fully corrupted. I do not think it's <laughs> corrupted. Um, and and, and to, to the point that people are saying that, you know, we can't get – a fair shake in court, that we can't have our day in court. I don't think that's true. I think there's still plenty of judges out there that want to do the right thing. You just have to show them the evidence and give them the right case, the right facts. You know, bad facts, there's a saying in the legal profession, bad facts make bad law. Okay, so we bad case law is what they're referring to. We need to have a case with the right plaintiffs, with the right facts. We believe we have them, especially with these ivermectin cases and these transplant cases. We're looking at a couple right now. If we can get even one of those uh, together and, and present it to the court, we believe that's going to be very, very compelling and bring out a lot of the truth about this science. Again, folks, I, this is no exaggeration. These really are the most important civil rights, human rights uh, cases and precedents uh, since since the, 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 the Holocaust, the Shoah that we commemorate today. Because if government could quite literally force anything in your body, deny care, I mean, I can't think of anything greater, a greater pro-life issue. Um, you know, Brian, I'm not going to put these words in your mouth, but I, I believe this firmly. I am very much anti-abortion, but I do believe, and you don't have to choose, but this is a much greater pro-life issue because abortion they're aborting their kids here they are aborting our live born people they are killing our people and the um, unborn and the unborn well and the unborn i mean yeah we talked about yesterday the dod whistleblower data um the the you know reproductive health icd codes seemed to skyrocket in 2021 uh, immensely in the military with very, very good epidemiological data. And they did not skyrocket in 2020, which is important because that's the first year of the pandemic, but before the shot. So you can't blame, you know, if, if they say, oh, it's COVID doing that. Well, you would have seen it in 2020. So um, w really brief um, before we sew up here, uh, putting aside biomedical terrorism and human rights violations, although this is kind of a human rights violation, you have another important lawsuit you're working on. Could you share that with our audience? Yes. Yeah, so we want everybody to know that we do more than just uh, fight medical tyranny uh, and, and fight for religious freedom, although those are extremely important and those right now are our flagship issues. We do a lot more. So if you go to our website, you'll see that we fight for everything, you know, First Amendment free speech rights, Second Amendment rights, a lot of uh, wide array of uh, constitutional rights that, that we work to defend. And we have a case right now out of Guilford, Connecticut. We're about to file again. We have several of the plaintiffs already signed on uh, with our attorneys uh, against the Guilford Public Schools for critical race theory in schools. Uh, I know you've talked about it. Other, a lot of other people uh, at The Blaze are talking about critical race theory and how it's indoctrination, how it's uh, ruining uh, our children, really. And, and this needs to stop. This group of parents fought back against it, and they were severely, they allege, they were severely retaliated against to the point where their children were retaliated against. Their children suffered grievously. Our lead plaintiff, Danielle Scarpolino, and we were on the Steve Day show about a week ago talking about this. Her son, seventh grader, was sexually assaulted, and she alleges that the school turned a blind eye to this, did not properly uh, investigate this, didn't report it within the 12-hour window, which you're required to as a mandated reporter in the state of Connecticut. That is the law. It's actually a crime not to report it. Uh, they did not report it. They left When they finally did compile a report for the Department of Children and Families, they left out the critical facts that would make it a sexual assault, even though she had seen the surveillance camera footage herself and seen her son harmed this way. Uh, and then another child, uh, one of the plaintiffs alleges their, their child was beaten up on a football field while staff, coaches looked on and did nothing. 
uh, because these parents had fiercely spoken out, had even primaried, this is a political thing, they had even primaried uh, some of the Board of Education members and won in the primaries. They, they lost in the general election, unfortunately. But they, they went after them in the elections, too, and the school district was not very happy, and the kids ultimately suffered. This was taken out, uh, we believe, on the children, and we intend to prove that in court. Uh, this cannot stand. Okay, parents have a right to stop this kind of poison in their school systems, what's being taught to their kids. Uh, they're not only poisoning our bodies with these shots and the mask mandates and everything else, and not only harming our bodies, our kids' bodies, but they're poisoning their minds. And we need to stop this. We're going to stand up against this and fight it. Okay, could you just discuss briefly, I guess without tipping your hand on some details that need to be saved for court, I'm just a little bit confused. So it's not CRT per se. I mean, it's not like you're mil- uh, uh, you know, litigating against CRT directly. It's that they were retaliated against in your view. Um, are you alleging that they sicked people upon them to attack them or they were attacked and because of their political views, the school didn't do anything about it? It's I, I- I don't want to say too, too much, but it's, yes, the latter is certainly part of our allegations. We do see this as a free speech issue as well, because remember, a school district, a public school district is a government entity, a governmental entity, all right? They are beholden not only to the state constitution, but to the United States constitution. They cannot restrict someone's free speech rights. And so retaliating against someone for speaking out is certainly a free speech, in in my view, is certainly a violation of the First Amendment free speech clause. Because you're saying because these parents voiced a dissenting opinion, uh, they're now going to be retaliated against. They're now not going to get the same protections. It's an equal protection clause argument there, too. They're not going to get the same protections of the laws. Uh, you know, there's, there's anti-bullying laws in Connecticut, too. Very, very specific. If you go to uh, Title 10 of the Connecticut General Statutes, very specific provisions in there against bullying in schools. And they have to have a safe school policy. They have to implement it. They have to follow up. There's all kinds of things. We believe that uh, all kinds of policies and laws that were violated here. Uh, it, it, it is our contention, and we intend to prove that. Uh, we have a goal of $50,000 for that lawsuit. Um, we have not reached it. Uh, we haven't uh, even quite raised half of that much right now. So we really, really are, are asking for people to to help contribute to this because we believe this could be precedent setting. This is, again, uh, going to the federal courts, and we believe uh, if it if we can get this to the United States Supreme Court, we could this could be a major decision to say that parents not only can you not retaliate against them, but they have the right to object and to have a role in the curriculum that their kids are taught. Wow, this is really big. Again, we the PatriotsUSA.org, making human rights great again. Uh, learning the lessons of never again truly do mean never again. What is going on across the board, our body, mind, and soul is disgusting. Um, it's it's the legislatures, it's the culture, it's the courts. There's multiple avenues, but Brian is really fighting on the court end. Thank you so much for what you do. Uh, please keep us updated on all these cases. Till tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.